0: Amen. Praise the Lord. How is everyone doing today? I hope everyone doing is doing fabulous man. Jesus is just doing some awesome things. that's what I believe. Jesus is changing so much in me personally, so much is going on and uh, I'm just I am excited about Jesus. and if you're listening to this I probably imagine that you are excited about Jesus or at least interested in him. And what are we here to do? We're here to behold Jesus. That's the New Testament way of receiving from God, right? It's to believe on the Son. It's to behold him. It's to see him lifted up. It's to see him seated and to see yourself in him man, that's just beautiful. That's what we're going to do here today. We're going to receive, we're going to let Jesus love on us. That's what's going to happen. We're going to let him sit us down, and instead of us working really hard to serve him, he says, no, 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 no. you sit there, and I'll wash you. That's what Jesus says. That's beautiful. We're going to let him wash us with the water of his word uh this doesn't necessarily have to do with our topic but i just i feel an inclination to read this scripture this is the, the the start of jesus's ministry and he says in luke chapter 4 verse 18 the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the the gospel to the poor he sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Man, that is awesome. That's who That's who Jesus is. That is what he's doing in our life right now. He's preaching the gospel to us. He's healing the brokenhearted. He's preaching deliverance to the captives. He's recovering the sight to the blind, and he has made free them that are bruised. You know, I just love Mark, excuse me, Matthew 11, 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you that weary and are heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you more burdens. No, I'm going to give you rest. We are here to rest in Jesus as he he rests in us, his home in us. Praise God. Well, uh, I've heard a lot of good responses from the first episode, the first part of this series called How to Hear with Your Heart. We gave a really solid foundation of what the heart is, how it functions, where it is, you know, spiritually, if you want to say it like that. And and my wife said she thought it was really foundational, and, and, and she would send that to a lot of people. And I thought that was cool. And we're on part two now. Uh, part one. I, if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you. I encourage you to listen to it again. If you did, it's uh, I've spent time studying these things out, so they're a little bit more, you know, under the belt if you've studied them out. But if this is if this is fresh to you, it doesn't hurt at all to go back over them. Not at all. So this is part two, and it's called, excuse me, not that. It's called how do our hearts change? How do our hearts change? This is part two. I want to reiterate this. Remember, people, the heart is what God is after. That is what God is after. May I remind you of scriptures like Proverbs 4.23? Keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence. For what? For out of it are the issues of life. That's a powerful scripture. All... The issues of your life. I'm not saying that the enemy doesn't try to attack you and deceive you, but I'm not as scared of the devil. I don't believe that the devil has the ability to skill to still kill and destroy. I actually don't believe that scripture is even about the devil personally. But so I'm not saying that everything. I'm definitely. Don't, I definitely don't believe a demon is behind every rock and every tree. You know what I mean. But it says keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life remember what we, what we talked about what you believe in your heart is what you're going to meditate on it's what you're going to speak out and what you speak out shapes the world around you that's how it goes that was proverbs 4:23 you know romans chapter 10 believe in your heart confess with your mouth we see that 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 godlike quality functioning in humans only remember jesus said In Matthew 6, 21, he said, Where your heart is, that is where your treasure is. Amen. I want to start off in Revelation, um, a book that the Lord is just opening up to me right now in a lot of awesome new ways, and that's exciting. But I want to start in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, and I want to read verse 20. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. Notice Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. The door of what? I believe Jesus is talking about the heart right now because we use this in evangelistic circles to say, listen, Jesus, he wants to to change your spirit. He wants to... Make you born again. But this is written to believers. Did you notice that? This is one of the seven churches in Asia that's in the book of Revelation. Sodia, I believe. The lukewarm church. And he says, to these born-again people, I stand at the door and knock. Well, if you're born again, obviously Jesus is already in your spirit. You're one with him. First Corinthians 6.17, almost, you know, the last half of John 17.17. 17, verses 22, 23, all those places where he, he prayed, Father, I, I pray that they would be one even as we are one. You're one in the Spirit. So if you are born again and you're where God is and God's where you are and he never leaves you and you can never leave God, then how can he stand at a door and knock? That implies that he is outside and you are inside. How can he do this? If any man hear my voice, open the door. What's happening? This is Jesus in your spirit, which is your spirit, speaking to your heart. And what is he saying? What is he saying to your heart? He's saying, hey, let me in. Hey, I want to flood the areas of your life with my love. I want to show you how to release the kingdom of heaven from the inside out. That's what he's after. Praise God, man. That's good news right that's the gospel he says behold i stand at the door and i knock and if any man hears my voice and he opens the door what happens when you allow jesus to start influencing influencing your heart do you remember the the definition of grace right we are we are grace people on this podcast we preach the gospel the grace of god do you remember the definition for grace according to Strong's. Strong's Concordance says that grace is the divine influence on the heart and the reflection upon the life. Remember that verse in Proverbs? As, a, as the water answers face to face, so does the man's heart. You know, what's in your heart is reflected by your actions, and your actions reflect what's in your heart. Now, that doesn't mean because you mess up and, you know, because you didn't do something right, that doesn't mean your heart's evil. Uh, we're not under the law here. Sorry, writing something down. We're not under the law here. So we do not believe we're defined by our actions. But on that same note, we don't want to get in the ditch. Our actions, when we live from a place of the Spirit and let the Spirit and His love and his grace influence our our hearts boom what happens there you're a branch in a in a vine the branch naturally produces fruit the branch doesn't have to try hard to produce the fruit this is the kingdom this is the way the kingdom is released in all the areas of your life and then and then once you once you take a take a sip of that new wine of that new covenant it's so good and you lean over to someone else and you you want them to try this drink right that's uh <laughs> uh in acts chapter 2 they thought the uh, they thought the apostles were drunk and peter stood up and said we're not drunk as you suppose he said he didn't say they weren't drunk he said they weren't drunk as they supposed they were drunk all right Drunk off of the Holy Spirit, and His manifestation on their hearts, amen. And it and that react that 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 reflected in their actions. Praise God. So when you let him in, what happens? He'll come in and he'll eat with you, and he says, "You'll eat with me, and I'll eat with you." You'll get your you'll get your your daily dose of bread and wine from me. He says. He says in John chapter six, "Eat of my flesh." drink of my blood. What are we talking about? Cannibalism? No, that's what the Jewish people thought he was talking about, but he was talking spiritual. He was saying, "Get your life from my life." He gives his very self to you every day so that you can experience what eternal life. I don't want you to think of eternal life like a a quantity. Like a time period. Eternal life is a quality of life, baby. A quality of life. What kind of quality? Intimacy with the Godhead. The glory, the intimacy that you have given me, Father, I have given them. John 17. So that what? They may experience the same unity that we enjoy. There's no higher quality of life than when you're in intimacy, in fellowship, in friendship with Jesus. Amen. That's good news. So I'm talking about on this episode. How do we? How do our hearts change? We see Jesus is standing on the outside of our hearts because he's because he's smart and he knows if he gets to our hearts, everything else just falls after. Not that that that. And I just want to reiterate this. God's goal is to not just get you to do what he wants you to do. God's goal is to have you. You know, I was thinking about this verse the other day. It's a verse in the Old Testament, I believe it's 1 Samuel 15, when when King Saul disobeyed and Samuel came and rebuked him and he said the kingdom's tore. And, and, and Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. And I've heard that sometimes. To obey is better than sacrifice. Well, New Testament, I'm just saying, you think your obedience can be the sacrifice of Jesus, because that's the only sacrifice there is in the New Testament, is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Your obedience can never match the sacrifice of Jesus. And you say, well, that's Old Testament Scripture, Brock. That's in the Bible, right? Yeah, Old Covenant, under the law. Everything that the law did, grace does a thousand times opposite, 180 degrees. That's for free. I won't charge you for that, bit. So what are we talking about? How to change our hearts. I'm going to throw this out there. He changes our hearts by changing the way we relate to him. Remember we talked about Romans 2.28, cutting off the dead skin. That, That symbolizes the cutting away of dead works. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 9 and read some verses here. Hebrews 9.14 says, man, Hebrews, it's just one of those books where you almost feel ashamed because you're not taking the time to go fully in depth of what's happening. But Hebrews chapter, really the whole the whole book of Hebrews is essential to the grace message because it shows the authority of the Son of God, Jesus, and Hebrews shows why the new covenant is better than the Old Covenant. That's the whole point. It's written to Jewish people, Hebrews. That's who it's written to. That's its audience, which helps us out a lot. So chapter 9, man, there's some explosive, wonderful things in chapter 9. He's talking about Jesus has has obtained eternal redemption for us. It talks about that the, the, the law was only until the time of reformation. Christ is our high priest. The blood of animals could never cover sin, but the blood of Jesus could, just to throw some things out there. But in verse 14, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. He says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, clean your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I heard somebody or I read in a commentary one time that dead works means past works. No, I don't believe that. Dead works is your works in the flesh. Anything that you are doing to add to the cross. I mention this pr- at least once every teaching because it's such a perfect picture. Jesus washing the feet. He says, If I wash you, you're clean. Peter says, No, wash more than what you were going to wash. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You cannot add to the cross. let will give another example here. Abraham. Abraham, his wife Sarah, and, his hand, and Sarah's handmaiden Hagar. God promised Abraham and Sarah a baby. And he said, it's the child of promise. But meanwhile, that baby hadn't come yet. They kept trying and it, and it hadn't happened yet. And they were getting in the flesh. In the flesh is not sinning in the flesh is to do things in your own self-righteous efforts. You could say the Pharisees were only in the flesh. Jesus said you can perceive the time of the day, you can perceive this, the, the seasons of the earth, but you can't perceive what, what's going on. You can't perceive the kingdom of God is here. That's what Jesus told them. In the flesh is to is to say the works of my hands are going to produce what God said he would produce by the work of his son so their child wasn't coming and Sarah who got in the flesh you know Abraham must have been there too and he must have premeditated it because boy because boy he uh, he was quick to obey he was he, he was quick to satisfy his wife in that area she said, hey I want you to have sex with my handmaiden that was a normal thing back then if your wife or husband couldn't produce you would do it with the person's handmaiden and that would be considered their child i know it's kind of weird and uh they she 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 uh she she said to abraham excuse me sorry she said to abraham i want you to do it with my handmaiden and abraham went and did it and they had a child but god said that is not the child i promised you that's the child of the flesh says the new testament galatians chapter 4 what happened? God promised Abraham and Sarah by the spirit. They were There was no way, no physical way they could have a baby because she was barren. And they, what happened? They got scared and they said, by the works of my own hands, I'm going to produce what God said he would give me for free, what he would do, right? And then they had the child, child of the flesh. There's so much in that, but I'll stop there just to give an example of adding to what God said. That is self righteousness. But as we read in Hebrews, excuse me, yeah, and Hebrews chapter 9 and in Romans chapter 2, God, Jesus, has cut away the dead works. He's cut away the dead flesh so that what? So that you can, it, it says, He has purged your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Wow, isn't that crazy? Getting out of a mindset of working because that's what it is, it's working, it's adding, it's the law. When you get out of the mindset of, I have to do something, then you serve God better. And I'll I'll say this right here, the way that you serve God is to sit there and let him wash you. That is the way, right? Mary thought, I got to cook and clean and do this. That's the way she wanted to serve God. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's the way she thought it had to be. Meanwhile, excuse me, Martha was like that. Mary, sitting at the the feet of Jesus, Jesus says she has done a good thing. What was she doing in the natural? Nothing. Mary was sitting there. She was sitting there, receiving the good news of the kingdom. That what? Mark opens his gospel with Jesus saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The word repent does not mean ask forgiveness for your sins. The word repent means turn around change your thinking repent change your thinking the kingdom of god is at hand you think it's far away no it's it's right in your face says jesus so it says he's purged or cleaned your conscience from dead works what are we talking about we're talking about jesus changed the way we related to him i'm going to throw out one more scripture here hebrews a chapter over chapter 10 verse 2 Uh, for when they had not ceased to be offered, talking about sacrifices, because the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. How did Jesus change your heart? How did he change the way you related to him? He gave you no more conscience of sin. No more conscience of sin. How is that possible? I was listening to a Christian rap song today, and he was talking about, Oh, man, I'm such a sinner. Uh, The scriptures prove it out in my life. And I turned it off because I said I'm not going to sit here and listen to lies about who I am in the Spirit. And I don't advise that you should either. I'd rather listen to straight unbelief and cussing than listen to that stuff. I'm not an old sinner. I'm a new creation. I'm I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm a new creature in Christ, a completely new creation. The old things have passed away. Praise God. The, God. the way that God was going to change your heart was he was going to go straight to the root. I want to read this uh, here in Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 17, Jesus said, Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewed down and cast into the fire. Whereby their fruits ye shall know them. Man, I've had this thrown at me so much in my life talking about, man, the fruits. You're gonna know them by the fruits. No, Jesus is talking about getting people born again here. The the problem was not your sin. The problem was your sin nature. The problem was not the fruit coming out of the tree. The problem was the tree. You see what I'm saying? Jesus says, if you're a good tree, if you're born again, you're going to produce good fruit. If you're a bad tree, you're not born again, you will produce bad fruit. Let's go over here to Ephesians chapter 2 very popular section of scripture as it should be. It's awesome. There's some major Bible doctrines in there, I believe. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse five. Well, let's just start in verse four, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us already. We're talking about the love of God in the midst of all this. Beautiful. Verse five, even when we were dead in sins, He already has quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. You see, you were dead in sins. The Bible talks about being alive, talks about being dead. That's what it's talking about. You were dead. You were were dead in sins. That was your sin nature. How could you be dead? You're walking around, you're physically breathing, but the way that God defines life is, do you have my spirit in you or do you not? He looked at Adam and he said, the day that you eat that fruit, you shall die. But Adam lived another 900 years. That's because God is not looking at the natural. He is not concerned with biological things. So after I heard that and after I figured that out, I thought, man, I ever, there's people that aren't born again. And, you know, I, I, I felt like the Lord said to me, or at least brought to my remembrance that, you know, that movie, I see dead people. And so now when I'm out in crowds, I think that I said, man, how many of these people are dead? They're walking around, but they're dead. And even many Christians are experiencing death, fear, depression, lack, insecurity, the oppos- opposite of what God is. They're experiencing death. And clearly death, is, it's not dependent on if you are living and breathing in your body. It's dependent on what's going on in your spirit. But if you don't know how to get in contact with your spirit, it's not going to change your mind, therefore changing your body. You see what I'm getting at? So we were dead in sins. We were a bad tree. I say this again. Individual sins. You smoking weed. You drinking. You having sex you lying, you being deceitful, you stealing, that was never God's problem. I know that's a bold statement, but those things aren't what bothered God. Those things are not what he was concerned about or is concerned about. It's not the fruit. The fruit is not the problem. It's the root. Where does the fruit come from? The tree. I already quoted this, but remember, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Let's just turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is good stuff. I'm preaching myself happy right now. I hope you guys are enjoying it too. This is real basic grace stuff right here, but it's going to be essential uh, as we move along in this study, I promise, in the heart. 2 Corinthians chapter five. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, any man be born again, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Meaning we get to tell other people, hey, God is not counting your sins against you. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Praise God, we get to tell people, God's not mad at you. Verse 20 Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray in Christ's stead, or stead, excuse me, be ye reconciled to God. God has reconciled you to Himself. Now reconcile God to yourself. Verse 21, For he has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow, powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. So you can clearly see we are no longer sinners saved by grace. We're just holding on till the end. We're waiting for Jesus to beam us out of here so we don't have to actually try to do anything at all. The world, why even gather up wealth? It's all gonna burn anyways. You know, when the saints come marching in, when we hear that trumpet, I wanna hear, good job, thou good and faithful servant. Praise God. No, that is not the way we're thinking. The way we're thinking is, wow, Christ has completely transformed my inner being, my very nature. And now I'm a new creature, a new creation, a new creature, excuse me. I'm now just like Jesus, 1 John 4:17. I am altogether lovely and perfect, Song of Solomon 4:7. I'm holy and blameless, I'm unreproachable. I talk about that in my Undefiled episode, episode 28 in the podcast. You should check that out if you haven't talked about those things. And if you have, check it out again sometime because it's awesome. I think it's a great teaching. So that's our mindset. So Old Testament now. Going back to the Old Testament, as we love to do on this. I had someone today say, oh, so we shouldn't even really read the Old Testament, right? Because there's so much law. And I said, I probably spend more time in the Old Testament than I do anywhere else. (laughs) The Old Testament is full of wonderful things because you can see what either God doesn't want or you can see the pictures of Jesus. Praise God. So the Old Covenant is we relate to God by Master God. You're the good Lord. He's God Almighty. We're his servants. I've had so many people say to me, Oh, so you think you're a son? So, so, yeah, you are a son, but you think you're not a servant? Why do the apostles call themselves servants? And I just, to that I reply, I, if you went to fold the laundry because your parents told you so, are you going to call your parents master? Do they call you servant? No, they call you son. But here's the thing. A servant cannot be a son, but a son can serve. I'm going to say that again. A servant can never be a son. All the benefits that a son gets. What does the son get? When the parents die, the son gets an inheritance. A slave, a servant does not get an inheritance. But even though a servant can't be a son, a son can still serve out of what? Fear? Out of payment? No, out of love. Major difference. So God wanted to relate to us by sonship, not master, slave. I want to go to Luke 17. This passage of scripture has just been bludgeoned to death. uh, And it's been used to beat the people of God senseless. But I want to shed some light on it. Luke 17. uh, I want to, the backdrop of this is, they're, they're talking about forgiving people and, you know, you got to forgive him 70 times 70 and all that, seven times a day. And then the apostle after after Jesus said, you got to forgive 70 times seven, it says the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. You know, we could never do this. It shows that I have more faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. This is Jesus talking about the tree you know Jesus loves trees. That man is always talking about trees. What's the deal? He's saying if you just have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, if if all you can do is just believe in me, that I have what plucked up by the root, and I, I've tossed away that old covenant. If if you if you let me through you speak to the problems of that old covenant, when. When, when you have a mindset of condemnation, when you have a mindset of I'm a slave, when you have a mindset of I'm not good enough, I'll never live up to God's holy standard, you say in that moment, you believe in your heart, and you just speak, no, that's not who I am. You say, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a child of inheritance, I'm a child of promise. It said, it will obey you. Because then he goes in to verse seven, he says, but which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is coming from the field, come and sit down to eat with me. He says, if you have a servant, why would you ask him that? Verse 8, would you not rather say unto him, make ready when I'm going to eat, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterwards, then you can eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise when you have done all those things which are commanded you the only thing you'll say is we are unprofitable servants we have done the thing that which was our duty to do I have written in my bible right here next to that I have I make a bad slave Jesus is trying to get his disciples and really the whole church Out of a mindset of what? Of serving. We got to serve God. We're here to serve God. We got to do these things. But Jesus says the most you can ever believe and think as a servant is this. I'm an unprofitable servant. What does a son think though? A son thinks, a son or a daughter thinks, man, I'm loved. I can go into the fridge at any moment and get anything I want. Oh, I need some gas money? I'll just ask my father. That's what a son is supposed to be like. If you had a twisted family, then you won't understand that. But that's what—that's how it works in the kingdom. And the way the kingdom works is different than the way the human family can work, most times, I'll say. So you see here, Jesus at the conception here in his ministry, he's trying to get his disciples to understand, hey, that mountain of law, that sycamine tree of law, of old covenant that's in front of you, speak to it and tell it to die. Have faith in me a mustard grain. Just believe that I. all you got to do is believe that on the cross I took all that shame and condemnation from you. He's trying to get his disciples to see that. He's trying to get them out of the mindset of servant master. I want to go to Hosea chapter 2, kind of a random book, but I love it. It's it's an awesome Old Testament book. So many good things in there. I came across this and a while back, and I've always thought it was awesome, and I'm going to take the opportunity to use it here. Hosea 2.16 says, And it shall be at that day. What day? He's talking about, man. Let's go to verse 14, actually. Starting in verse 14 of Hosea chapter 2. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Talking about Israel, Jerusalem. I will bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak comfortably unto her. So God's about to speak something comfortable to you. He's about to speak something that's going to minister peace and comfort. Verse 15. I will give her her vineyards from from there, the valley of anchor for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, and as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt. What what was it like when you came up out of the Egypt, out of Egypt? Woo, I'm free. You you went from being a slave to not being a slave, he says that, that you know, the, the parallel to this is really when you got born again, you experienced such joy, and you just love Jesus, and then you went to church, and you heard what you had to do. You heard the holy commandments. You heard how you messed up. You got beaten, but, but he says when you understand, when you understand the new covenant, You're going to sing. You're going to sing what? A new song. What's that new song? The song of the Lamb, says Revelation. Uh, The song of Solomon. A song of intimacy and romanticness with God. That's right. I use that word. You can be romantic with Jesus. It's awesome. He created it. And he created it for you and him. So what are we talking about here? It'll be in that day. In what day? The day that you came out of the land of Egypt. That day when you when you finally realized you were no longer a slave. Verse 16, the verse I want to get to. In that day, says the Lord, thou shalt call me Isha, and thou and you shall call me no more Baalai. So these are Hebrew words, obviously. He says, In that day you're gonna call me Isha. Do you know what that word Isha means? I S H I. It means in that, in that day you're going to call me Isha. Husband. And he says, you will no longer call me Bali, Baali, B A A L I. You know what that word means? It means master. Woo wee. That is some good news. He says, the day that you realize, the day that you realize the new covenant, you're no longer gonna call me master. I don't want to be called master. God does not want to be called master by you. Many people say that. They say the good master. No. He does not want to be called master. He doesn't like master. He he gave the death of his son so that you wouldn't call him master. Amen. But what does he want you to call him? Jesus wants you to call him husband. Why husband? Because the wife sleeps in the bed with the husband. The servant doesn't sleep in the bed with the owner. Amen. That's good news. I want to top this cherry off here with John 15, 15. I'm sure some of you know the verse by now. You've at least heard it. Check this out. Jesus, the very expression. I can't, I cannot even, I've been on this a lot lately telling people this. I can't even begin to explain why the ministry and the gospels are so important. The Bible says Jesus is an exact copy of the Father. He is an exact image. It says he's the expressed image of the Father. Everything that God is, Jesus reflects. Even when God had to operate sometimes in the Old Testament under the law, raining down fire, what did Jesus say when his disciples wanted to rain down fire? He said, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. Jesus, if you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. I ministered this to a woman yesterday. She said, God's just, she, he's testing me. He's taken a lot of people from my life this year. And I said, well, listen, Jesus is the expressed image, right? He, he is the father in the flesh. She said, yeah. And I said, tell me this, did Jesus ever make anybody sick? And she said, no. I said, what did Jesus do? I said, Jesus healed everyone he came in contact with. Remember Luke 4? We read that at the beginning. He heals the broken heart. He recovers sight to the blind. He, he, he lets the captives free. He's a healer. That's what God said in the Old Testament. He said, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. He sent his word and healed them. Psalms 107 20. Praise God, man. So Jesus, everything Jesus says is so important. It's so important. There's so much depth, depth, and it reveals the heart of God. John 15, 15. Henceforth, meaning from this moment right now, forever, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. A servant, uh, w- when the master tells the servant to do something, the servant doesn't say, oh, well, why are we doing that? Listen, I think we should do this. No, a servant takes orders. A servant is told what to do and he does it. And it doesn't matter what he thinks. It doesn't matter if he thinks it's stupid or right or smart. He does it because he's a servant, because he listens to his master. Jesus says, I call you not servants. You're not a servant. A servant doesn't understand the thoughts of God. When you're under a law mindset, when you are thinking Oh man, I can, I can, you know, his way. I can't stand it when people say this verse like this. His ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's because God thinks in grace and you're stuck under that old covenant law. And you think he's a master and you're a servant and he only tells you enough information so you can perform. But that is not the New Testament. That is not the new covenant. You are a son you are a wife jesus says from now on i don't call you servants the servant doesn't even understand the thoughts of his lord but i have called you friends for all things that i have heard of my father i have made known unto you jesus says every single thing that my dad told me i've let you i've let you know, let you know what he said you know rabbit hole here but Let's let's go to First Corinthians chapter two. People people use this verse, man. Here we go. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse nine. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man. Wow, what are we talking about? We are talking about the heart. The Holy Spirit's really smart. I didn't plan on using this scripture. It says. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. God, we can't see your plans. Holy Spirit, we can't hear you. You, you those things, those high heavenly things, they can't enter into my heart. So now what's the opposite? Keep reading verse 10. But but God, Right? Don't you love the butts in the Bible? They never stink. They say, but God. <laughs> but God has, past tense, he has revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So under, that's an Old Testament quote, by the way. It's from Isaiah. Eye has is not seen, ear is not heard. Uh, old covenant, your God, the things of God cannot enter your heart. Because you can't understand them. Why? Because you're under the law. What's the new covenant? What's what's under grace? What does that mean? In in contrast, that has to mean, wow, the things of the spirit can now go in your heart. They can be there because you can understand the thoughts of God. In this same chapter, the last verse is, uh, "For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him or influence him?" That that verse says, "Who could influence the mind of God?" And then he says. But we have the mind of Christ. We get to now influence the will of God by our decisions, and he's cool with it. This is relationship. There's things that I want to do that my wife says, well, uh, what if we didn't do that? What if we did this over here? And uh, I don't want to do that over there. I wanted to do this. That was my perfect plan. But my wife wants to do it. So I say, okay, yeah, let's do that. I don't care. That is God's attitude towards you. What am I talking about? Why did I just go through all of that stuff about being a slave and being a servant? Because I'm trying to show you that the way you open up your heart to the Lord is realizing that you are loved. You're my beloved, and then what? Son. You have to realize first that you're loved, and then you have to realize your identity. Whether that is, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, or I'm the bride of Jesus. You know, I'm the friend of God. You have to realize these things, but you first have to realize you're loved, and then those other things will fall into place. What does this matter? What does it matter if you're a son, if you're a servant, if you're a bride, if you're a handmaiden? What does it matter? Intimacy. Intimacy. This all stems from intimacy. That's the root. What's the door to intimacy? I want to read this. If you have your Bible, which I highly suggest you do, go to 1 John chapter 4. I want to propose this to you. If, if, if I had beat my wife before, and I didn't do it for a long time, did you know? That every night, well, let's say when I got drunk, I beat my wife. When I started drinking, what's going to happen? My wife would be thinking what? Man, he's going to beat me tonight. And you know what would happen? She would shut herself off to me, slowly but surely, in every area. This will be a bit personal and maybe a little weird, but uh, I used to be with this girl who I was absolutely horrible to before my Jesus days but even after my Jesus days I just I put this woman under the law so much that nothing changed but I didn't know you know I was young I didn't know what I was doing and I uh, she did things I didn't agree with and I tore her a new one I went in on her I let her have it I let her have it all the time I let her know how sucky she was I let her know she was worthless. I called her every name you could call her. What happened? I attributed a wrong identity to her. I made her feel unloved. I made her feel worthless. But then after that, when I came back to the Lord, and I was sweet, and I did nice things, and I never called her those things ever again, and I never treated her that way, and I never got angry with her, or tried not to at least, and I wanted I, wa- I wanted to have relationship i wanted to have intimacy you know uh that woman never really opened back up to me she actually ended up leaving me which was fine it wasn't the will of god for me to be with her anyways i'm happily married with who i believe you know is the person i was supposed to be with and i'm just using all this to illustrate one thing i didn't understand for the longest time why that woman didn't react good when I started acting good. And I've learned this also from being married. Um, it's coming up on a year now. Uh, women, if you are, if, if if a woman is hurt, it can take some healing time, man, especially hurt by someone she loves. It can take some healing time. It can take some scars. Uh, guys aren't quite like that, but personally, this is why I believe We're called the bride of Christ, the churches, because as a whole, this is how we react to God. I think you can kind of see what I'm getting at, but I'll top it off here. I always wondered why that chick never opened back up to me, even after I was being nice for so long and and, and showed her that I cared. It's because for years, I'm talking years, people, three, four years, I bludgeoned her with my words. I crucified her. I made her feel like junk. Then all of a sudden, what? Snap of a finger? I'm all jesus and I want to be nice? That's not the way it works, folks. That woman never opened back up. And when I started getting revelations of the new covenant, and I started understanding all these things about why you have to know that you're loved and then know your identity, that you're a bride, that you're a son or a daughter, I understood why they were so crucial because I had seen it in my life. And why I'm on the topic and on this story, you know, the things that that uh, woman was doing that I didn't agree with in her life, uh, because I projected that on her so much, uh, she kept on doing those things. And that's the law in action. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. What does that do? Man, that your flesh rises up and says, well, by God, I got to do it now. I learned a lot from that situation, and I've seen these things. It's very practical. Uh when it's it's very practical. When I can tell when I'm sweet towards my wife, and we're not talking works. I'm not saying be sweet so that you can have a desired end. No, I'm. You're sweet because you love. Right. That's the reason. It's for no gain or benefit. It's just because you love. But I've noticed when I'm more tender towards my wife, and I, and I, I tend to love on her more and express my love and touch her and. Be intimate with her. She's more open to me. You know, she gives me more grace. She wants to be with me more. She becomes more in love with me every day as that process goes on. This concept of intimacy and and, and love and not being under the mindset of works of slavery is crucial. Did you get to 1 John 4? If you haven't, you probably won't find it by now. But verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. If you have a fear of God, if you're afraid of God, it says you've not been perfected in love. We're talking about intimacy. The reason why it matters that you're loved, that you're a son, that you're a daughter, that you're a bride, the bride of Christ. The reason why it matters is because once you understand those things, boom, you, just like my wife, opening herself up to me every day as we as we are married and as we continue that grace-for-grace grace relationship, at least attempting to. You don't always hit it, but bless God, we know the truth out there it opens up the door just like my wife she wants to be closer to me she wants to spend more time with me when you receive god's love over you man man you will just want to be with your abba you want to be with your papa you want to be with daddy god you want to be with your bro- with your groom excuse me you want to be with jesus your husband you want to experience his love you You want to forsake everything because you just have to read the word because it's the words of your precious groom, and he's talking to you, and it's a love letter written to you. Love, love opens up the door to intimacy, which in terms opens up your heart. We're going to get to that soon. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 59 the advantage of a podcast or a video is, you know, I can say that verse, and you can pause this, and you can, you can look it up, and then you can resume it. I really like that. You know, in a service, it's kind of all over the place, and you might not keep up if you don't know the books of the Bible and where everything's at. But Ephesians 5.29 says, No man ever hates his own flesh, but he nourishes and he cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. This is one of my favorite scriptures, man. This opened up. I was already deep into the love of God, but this already opened up so much for me more. He's talking about no man ever hates his own flesh. What does that mean? Let's say my arm is hurting. What am I going to do? Slap my arm? Say, you stupid arm. Stop hurting. You're an idiot arm. Nobody would do that. No, no, that's senseless. But yet, Jesus is the head and we are the body. And yet, we think Jesus is slapping his own body because he's getting angry ass and he calls us stupid and sinful. No. Do you honestly really want to know what I do when my arm's hurting? I lay, I lay my hand on my arm, you know, obviously. And I pray over it and I say, I say, you're a blessed arm. I say, the life of Jesus flows through your arm. I say, get out of here, death. I speak to, I speak words of life and of grace to the hurting parts of my body. How much more does our heavenly groom Jesus do that towards us? It says he nourishes and he cherishes his church. He nourishes, he takes care of you, he cherishes. You're his prized possession. You're that treasure hid in the field that he sold everything to go and get. He has buried you in himself. No man's going to pluck you out of his father's hand You are eternally secure, eternally redeemed. The door to intimacy. What's the biggest example of this in the Bible? I'm sure you can guess where I'm going. Song of Solomon, right? The perfect story of a self-conscious woman. She's worried about her performance. She's worried about what she's doing and what she has done or what she will or won't do. She comes and she says, I'm ugly. And he says, you're beautiful. She says, I'm out of covenant. He says, no, you're, you're, my covenant's wide open to you. I'm like the tents of Kedar. No, you're like the curtains of Solomon, the hanging in the holy place. You're beautiful, inti- uh, intimately woven for me, reflecting me. You're made in my image. She goes back and forth and all these things. And when she feels insecure the groom looks at his bride, and he says, he says, oh, my dove, your head in the cleft of the rocks, your head on the inside of me, he says. He says, let me me hear your voice. Let me hear your voice. Let me see your face. Why? He says, because your your face is beautiful, and your voice is lovely. I got to use the example of my wife again. When we were dating, uh my my wife hadn't had a boyfriend in about four years. She had she had come to Christ radically and then it took a while to get off drugs for her and uh almost every boyfriend she'd ever had had just treated her like trash and had cheated on her and man, it took some convincing of the Holy Spirit in her heart for her to open up to me. And I've seen Song of Solomon vividly played out in real life. My wife Kylie, we were dating. Well, really, we weren't officially dating yet, but I would show her love and she would shy away and I would just show her more love and she would shy away or, or maybe she would she would do something and messed up real bad in our relationship and I would just say, hey, I, I don't mind. I think you're perfect. I think you're lovely. And she would be with me and it would be awesome, but then she'd get really freaked out and scared and she'd run away and I would, I would just say, I, I just love you. And then finally, you know, even in our marriage, I think we're almost finally to the point where she's fully opened up to me. But I don't know, I'm not I'm not convinced that a human can open up fully. You know, I think it's a continual process. We're made in the image of God. God is infinite. I believe he, all humans are infinite in their personality and in their emotions and things about them. You know, I know my wife pretty good right now, but I bet 20 years from now I know her even better. And vice versa, her with me. I say all of this, this is just a giant picture. That I, my relationship with my wife was almost an exact copy of Song of Solomon. It was crazy. I was studying Song of Solomon, and I was seeing it played out in real life. But you know what brought my wife around? It was me showering her with love. It was me washing her. It was me taking care of her. It was me promising, I'm never going to leave you. It was me promising, even if I was with another lady in the future, my heart's with you. You are you would be the one that got away to me. It was it was buying her these things and showering these gifts. I know a couple right now. I know a young couple right now. And the woman, she, she is letting Christ work on her heart, man. And the man is just, he is being Christ to her. He's showering her with gifts. I'm talking, hey, here's a $1,000. And some of you might say, that's extreme. Nope, that's the love of Christ. $1,000, that's nothing to your papa. That's nothing to your, to your heavenly groom, Jesus. This is the door to intimacy. Man, I just feel such a presence of the love of God right now. He's so happy. He's so pleased. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Man, you just, don't you just feel that tingle on the inside of you? That's, that's the witness of the Spirit saying, this is truth. This is what I'm all about. I want to sprout some scripture off here. Remember, we're talking about intimacy. John 17, 23. I mentioned the scripture, but let's go and look at it real quick here. John 17, 23. Jesus says, I'm in them and they're in me that, that they may be, excuse me, I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou has loved me. Jesus is talking to his father right now. And he says, they're going to know that the way that you love them is the exact same way that you love me. Me and my friend Blake Helm, he's really big on this, on this scripture. And one more scripture in here that says the same thing. That is a crazy revelation. In the way that God loves his son, Jesus. Jesus, the son who is an exact image of him, whose bone of his bone, whose flesh of his flesh. Jesus came out of the Father. The Father made him exactly like himself. He's his, he's his prized image. He, he was perfect in everything he does. He fulfilled the law. He never sinned in his fleshly ministry in life. Let me ask you this. When Jesus prayed to the Father, do you think God heard him? When Jesus asked God to multiply the bread, do you think he heard him? When Jesus needed provision, when Jesus needed protection, all these things. When Jesus prayed and talked to his Father, do you think his Father prevailed on his behalf? Everybody would say yes, of course. Yes, it's Jesus. God always hears his Son, Jesus. Jesus even said that in John 11. He said, I thank you, Father, that you hear me. He said, I know that you always hear me. Always. But Jesus says the way that God has loved his son, that is the way that God loves you. That is the way that Jesus loves you. He always hears your prayer. He is always wanting to provide provision. He wants to give you more than you actually think you want. He wants to just love on you. He wants to have intimacy. He wants there to be nothing between you because there is no sin. What, is, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 8? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. Your sin cannot separate you from God's love, his tidal wave of love. You think you're little, one, you're perfect in the spirit. Two, when you're, uh, God knows that when you're sinning in the flesh, it's just because of a result of not knowing who you are and what's on the inside of you and who's on the inside of you and who you're one with. You think your little puddle of sin can match the waterfall of God's love and grace over your life? No, sir, buddy. There is nothing in between you and Papa. Nothing. He is your Abba. He is your Abba. That's the Jewish word for father. Abba, Dada. That that is what he seeks. To be he he wants to be you're his son you're a little baby and you're reaching up and you're saying father hold me and he says i've been wanting i just wanted you to ask <laughs> praise god back up to john 15 15 9 jesus says as the father has loved me so have i loved you continue or abide in my love we have two scriptures two scriptures right here the bible says let everything be confirmed by the witness of two or three. Two scriptures that says you're loved just like Jesus is loved. And Jesus says he loves you just like the Father loves you. God, was God ever? Here, This is really cool. If you're trying to figure out how God loves you, think about how God loves Jesus because everybody knows how the Father loves the Son. If you think, is God mad at me? Think, was God mad at Jesus? Obviously, no. God is never mad at Jesus. Jesus was perfect and now you're one with Jesus and that's how your father sees you. Praise God. Let's uh, uh, and, and I've already mentioned this. It's a pop, it's a favorite of mine, but it's so juicy. I've been reading it for weeks now, you know, John 13. When we let our papa father, when we when we let our l- let daddy God love on us. When we let our heavenly groom wash us, when we let him tell us how much he loves us. Remember we talked about Ephesians 5 in that same chapter verse believe 27 he says he cleanses his church where in their spirits nope your spirit's perfect in your mind he washes his church with the water of the word he just knocks on the door of your heart and he says let me in i want to eat with you i want to sit i want to be friends i want to enjoy a meal together as friends says the new living translation this this is intimacy so if you want your heart to change you first need to get rooted and grounded in the love of God. You need to realize that you're not a slave. And all these things will start there there is like, I, I view the heart as there's just sections and there's layers to it. And the more that you declaw wrong thinking of I'm not loved, I'm a servant, I don't please God, the more that you get rid of that, the more the layers of your heart will begin to open. Man, I think that's beautiful. I think that's absolutely beautiful. <sighs> Praise God. I know you might be thinking, we haven't really talked about the heart any. I disagree. This is essential. This is essential. Absolutely essential. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, all of these things are possible. I talked about you being loved. Well, one, you are already loved. Um, the sacrifice of Jesus doesn't, you know, God says, I love you with an everlasting love. He's always loved you the same amount, which is infinite love. But the sacrifice of Jesus is what manifested this love. You know what I mean? Uh, What did Jesus say in John, what's it, 15? He says, no greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Debating where I want to go real quick with this. I think I do want to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus. Well, I don't know. I'm feeling a tug on my heart. Let's just wait on the Lord for a second. And just, I got some notes here, but those aren't important when you have the Holy Spirit. This is crucial to the heart. Your heart is very sensitive, it's very tender. It only. Wants to respond properly to love. We talked about that scripture, 1 John 4:18, and it says, "Perfect love cast out fear." If you're fearing, you you haven't made, been made perfect in love. It's kind of like this. Hmm. If I if I go to we talked about planting a lot last time. If I go to just a nice fresh uh, land. You know, soil, if I, if I go to a garden, set this up in your mind here. If I, excuse me, if I go and plant tomatoes, what am I going to get? I'm going to get tomatoes, right? That's pretty self-explanatory. If I plant carrots, what am I going to get? I'm going to get carrots. And here's the interesting thing. I've said this before. I don't have to be in your garden when you planted it to know what you planted. Because Jesus said, by the fruits you'll know them. And in that context, I believe Jesus was talking about getting born again. That's the 3,000-foot view. In context, that scripture is talking about false prophets teaching the law mentality and not preaching grace. They're they're wolves in sheep clothing. It's not talking about sinners and all this stuff. It's talking about preachers preaching the law and the condemnation of God. Um excuse me, that's the 3,000-foot view. In, in context, that's what Jesus is talking about. But the three-foot view, which is the personal view, uh, you can look at your life and see the fruits of your life, and you can see what you planted. For instance, if you watch scary movies all day, you watch horror flicks all day, when you try to go to bed, what are you going to be thinking about? you're going to be thinking about that junk, man. And here's the cool part. I'm different because I preach, hey, you want to watch scary movies? God is not mad. It doesn't bother him. But I say uh you're going to still suffer effects though. It doesn't change how righteous you are. It doesn't change how perfect you are. None of that stuff, but it's going to change if you think you're righteous. It's going to change if you think you're a son. If you think that you're loved, People say, I just like the thrill. I don't believe that for one minute. I'm like, you you like to feel fear? People go to uh, you know, psychiatrists to get rid of feeling fear. You like to feel that? No, that's a twisted, perverted thinking. And I'm not trying to call anybody out or make anyone feel bad. I'm just saying. If all you did... You know, you can go on YouTube, and there's videos. You can type in uh, uh, love of God scriptures, and there's two-hour videos of just audio of mu- harp music playing in the background and somebody just reading off scriptures about God's love. If you sit there and listen to that whole thing, you're going to walk away feeling what? Loved. It's interesting to me. Like I said, I don't have to be in your in your garden to know what you planted. I meet people— who ooze fear and ooze anxiety, and they just bleed depression. I used to be like that. So I'm not knocking anybody, but I'm just saying I meet people like that. And they're, 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 the music they're listening to is offering death. It's, it's not messages of life. The, the movies they're watching, the audio, the podcasts they listen to, the books they read, it's only rooted in death. It's rooted in suffering. They do all these things. And then at the end of the end of the day, this used to be me, man. I read depressing stuff. I listened to depressing stuff. I thought about depressing stuff. And at the end of the day, I would lay in my bed and I would just think, Man, I wonder why I'm so depressed. That <laughs> seems so silly now. It's it's just so obvious, you know. They say twenty twenty is uh, hindsight's always twenty-twenty vision. It's so obvious now. All the books I was reading, all the music I was listening to, it was ministering death to me. The other aspect is, is, if you are only under an old covenant mindset, if you're thinking God's upset with me, God's mad at me, God's not pleased with me, God's not in love with me, God likes me when I do all my holy things, but he doesn't like me when I don't. If you think that, you're planting seeds of condemnation, which is, that's the hardest root to get out. Everything else stems from that, condemnation, shame, judgment. God's judging me. God is not going to judge you. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Praise God. We're sowing all these things into our hearts, and then we're wondering why. We're wondering why we're getting the results we are in our lives. You want to know a secret? As soon as I stopped listening and reading and watching all the things that I was watching, I wasn't depressed anymore. Isn't that crazy how that works? But remember that scripture we talked about, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. We talked about, uh, as a man thinks, so is he in his heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The things that you're thinking on is really going to determine your life. And I just feel the Holy Spirit wanting to bring this out right now. Religion has twisted this into we need to live holy. That's why we're not watching these things. It upsets God. No, God's pleased with you. But the Holy Spirit wants you to experience His life. Now here's the thing. I like something my wife said. She said, I'm tired of cutting off dead fruit just for it to grow back. We're talking about how to change our hearts. I, I think I've laid out pretty good that it's a love issue. You have to be convinced that you're love. And personally, the only way I feel like you're gonna be convinced is through the word of God. You have to seek out these scriptures about being loved. If you find something that's disturbing and you don't know how to explain, you know what, just put it away for now. And focus on those scriptures you do understand. There's a lot of scriptures that seems like Jesus is angry, that Jesus is saying something that he's not. But you can just put that to the side right now and focus on these scriptures. It's not because those scriptures are saying he's mad. There's, you know, you could, there's plenty of things Jesus preached that seem like. He's mad, but if you do some research and you study and you and you pray on it and you know the heart of God and you know grace, you can see, oh, he's not saying that at all. He's saying this. But those hard words can be can trip people up. So I just advise you, if you're in that spot, seek out those love scriptures. Romans eight, uh, excuse me, Romans five, verse eight, when. Uh, Christ commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Much more than being saved by the blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. Praise God, man. There's no wrath for you. That's a great scripture to meditate on. You can meditate on uh, 1 John chapter 4. We visited there, verse 19. Maybe my favorite verse in the entire word of God says, we loved him because he first loved us. And you can just think about that. He loved me. This is why meditation is so important. This is why reading the word, keeping it in your eyes, keeping it in your ears, uh, keeping it floating throughout your brain. And I'm guilty of it too sometimes, you guys, about, you know, it's so easy to get sucked into Facebook or to get sucked into Snapchat or get sucked into a TV show. It takes some resistance, man, especially if you're young. You've just been trained to do it your whole life. It's a hard habit to break, and you can't do it in your own flesh. <laughs> Praise God. But people always wonder why I'm in the Word so much. Why am I always talking to you? It's because it's what I like to spend my time in. I like to receive. I like to meditate on these things. And I, I Back in my face circles, I heard this, and this was great, honestly. This guy said, what's something I can meditate on today, Father? You know, give me some deep revelation. Show me something wonderful. And, and God said to him, meditate on this. I love you. <laughs> if we would meditate, three words. If you'd meditate on, I love you. If you'd meditate on, Jesus loves me. If that's all you thought about. If that's all you wanted to talk about. If you brought that to other people and you said, did you know Jesus loves me? And you told them and they might not understand or they might join in and fellowship with you. And you might, you guys might just get talking about the love and the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And then you're stirred up. The Bible says when two believers get together in fellowship, it's like iron sharpening iron. Jesus said, as I've washed your feet, so also you should do one towards another. Well, how does Jesus wash? He washes with the water of the word. He says, you're perfect, you're lovely, you're beautiful in his sight. You get to tell that. Remember, we talked about 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation. I love going up to people. That's how I started that conversation with that woman about uh, Jesus didn't make anybody sick. He didn't do that. He healed people. I started that conversation with, did you know God's not mad at you? That's my favorite way to start a conversation. I go up to strangers and I just tell them, Did you know God is pleased with you, that he's never mad at you? If we thought about these things, if we meditated, if we kept our eyes on the word, right? The scriptures say, keep your heart with all diligence. Now, I believe that you can't keep your heart with all diligence. It's up to Jesus. But I do believe there's things that you can do to uh, increase your quality of life, a.k.a. Increase your ability to release the kingdom of God in your life and all around you. Reading the word. Keeping your eyes on the word. You know, in the Old Testament, God told Joshua Joshua 1.8, Meditate on my word day and night, and then your path is going to be successful. Now, another unpopular opinion, I don't believe it's possible to do that fully. I think that's under the law, and I I think to try to obtain to that standard all day and all night, I'm going to study the Word. I'm going to meditate on the Word. Uh, I'm not saying that you can't meditate on the Word or have a song in your heart while you're doing other things, but I think that's an unrealistic standard. Do I think that you should have a desire to do that? I do, but that desire only comes from receiving the love of Christ. People might say, "Well, you can't think about the word all the time." And I do think that if that's your standard, you're going to fail. There's going to be a moment in your life when you're just not thinking about the love of Christ because you're doing your taxes or whatever. I do believe that standard can cause a lot of condemnation. But on the flip side, I'll say this. People say, "You can't think about the you can't meditate on the scripture all the time." And it's funny because when you have a problem, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You are thinking about that problem all the time, even if it's just lightly in the back of your head. doesn't matter if you're at work, if you're with family. You could be talking with someone else, having a conversation with them, and you're having a completely different conversation with yourself in your head about your problem. So if we can do that with negative things, why can't we do that on the love of the Lord? But again, don't get into condemnation if you find yourself you know, thinking about other things, even just logistical. You know? You're doing your taxes, you're you know, whatever, handling money. I don't know, there's a very thin line because you can I used to feel so condemned, you know. I need to study more, I need to meditate more, I need to sit and be quiet more. And those things are great, and those things are wonderful, and I do those things now, and I get a lot out of them. But the great thing is, when me and my wife want to watch an episode of Tiny House Living, I don't feel condemned. But I do have to say uh, I'm at to the point now where, like, I just love being in the Word so much, and I love spending my time with Jesus that when we're watching that tiny house, you know what I'm thinking the whole time? I'm thinking, man, it'd be cool to read the Word right now. And That's not to say I'm not enjoying myself. You know, I'm spending time with my wife. It's a different activity. But I am, I am almost always thinking, no matter what I'm doing, when I'm at work, well, you know, all I'm thinking is I can't wait to get home to be in the Word. I can't wait to listen to sermons freely and not have to do anything else. Praise God. Well, I hope this has encouraged you. I try to take everything in the Word and make it practical, make it applicable. How do we change our hearts? We let the love of God change our hearts, and like I said, when I'm watching Tiny House Living, you know, I'm not forcing myself to think I need to study right now. I need to. I need to go harder. No, from an inward place of intimacy, I I have a desire to just be with my father. It's completely different. It's completely different than this mindset of I have to forsake the world. No, uh, you can do it, and you can do it in your flesh. But like I said, that's not lasting change. That's producing an Ishmael. That was Hagar's baby with Abraham, a child of the flesh. No. We want results of the Spirit, which is completely apart than our own ability. All you do is just say, God, I want my heart to change, but I know only you can do it. And I, I, you know, don't look at all these areas. I need to change here. I need to change here. I need to change here. No, you what? Behold Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm just looking at you. Jesus, you're my righteousness. Jesus, you are my life. Your very life is on the inside of me. Just think that, man. How beautiful is that? Praise God, man. Woo, praise the Lord. Well, this is kind of unexpected, the ending here, but I'm glad the Holy Spirit had some wonderful things to say. I pray you're blessed. Uh, when this podcast comes out, I would have just released my website, www.brockhames.com You can read stuff about the podcast. You can see the music I put out. You can see stuff about my ministry. And also there's a donate tab, and I am venturing out into full-time ministry Uh, I'm, I'm just leaning on the, on the goodness of God's people. And I think that's really exciting. So I bless you guys. I thank you for listening. I pray this has impacted you and you know, it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Jesus is about the heart. I'm going to end with the story of David. David did not do everything right. He murdered, he committed adultery, he lied, he... Uh, caused the nation of Israel to die by the thousands, hundreds of thousands, because of decisions he made. And yet this is the guy that the Bible says he's a man after my own heart. I feel like the revelation in that for me recently is, we always talk about that as, he's the guy that has a heart just like God's. And I don't deny that. But I believe when the scripture says he's a man after my heart, that means he's chasing after my heart. Just like Paul. Paul was a guy after he was a guy after the heart of God. And he said that in Philippians 3. He said, I want to know Christ Jesus. I want to know him more intimately, more deeply, more progressively and passionately. I want to know him. So if you're looking for change in your life, don't focus on the change. Just chase after Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want to see your face. I want to eat your bread. I want to know your words. I want to feel your love. I want to experience you. And then the gospel will do its work. Jesus said the gospel is like a little bit of leaven, but when it touches that bread, it just starts to spread, baby. Praise God. You guys be blessed. Please share. Please share the podcast, word of mouth. It doesn't have to be on social media. You can send podcasts to people. Say, I, I think that's more personal and way Way cooler. Word of mouth. That's what I'm I'm trying to have my ministry based out of. Just word of mouth. People just talking about, hey, have you heard the good news? You should listen to this. Praise God. Will you all be blessed? Enjoy your week. I hope this fires you up. I hope this gives you hope. I hope this ministered grace to your heart. We are trying to get our hearts established in grace more and more as we come into the revelation of God's love towards us. Be blessed. Amen.